the way we think about our security and safety is going to have a very, very big impact, right? Like a massive drastic reduction in physical crime as, you know, security becomes automated, proactive, and actually effective. And I think just from people who spend time like in any kind of environment, like the way we experience it is going to be very different too, because our environments are going to be intrinsically safer. Like security is going to be sort of built into the environment itself. It's not obtrusive. Welcome to the 5-Year Frontier podcast, a preview of the future through the eyes of the innovators shaping our world. Through short, insight-packed interviews, I seek to bring you a glimpse at what a key industry could look like five years out. I'm your host, Daniel Darling, a venture capitalist at Focal, where I spend my days with founders at the very start of their journey to transform an industry. The best have a distinct vision of what's to come, a guiding North Star they're building towards, and that's what I'm here to share with you. Today's episode is about AI's ability to see and make sense of our world. In it, we cover topics including predictive security systems making our lives safer, breakthrough advances in large vision models, counteracting big brother and bias, and the future of multimodal AI. Guiding us will be Shikar Shretha, co-founder and CEO of Ambient AI, the Silicon Valley startup that rocketed out of stealth last year with over $50 in funding led by Andreessen Horowitz adding a further $20 million this year and now boasting a list of Fortune 500 customers. Ambien equips security cameras with computer vision technology that enables them to see and understand the world around them. Shikar spans a technical career from DARPA to Apple and Google, earning a master's in mechatronics, robotics, and smart imaging systems from Stanford University. A true expert in computer vision technology, I'm excited to learn from him where this transformative technology is taking us. Shikar, thank you so much for having this discussion with me. Welcome on. Thank you so much for inviting me, Daniel. Super excited about it. Awesome. So I just want to start with talking about computer vision more broadly in terms of it's essentially enabling AI to make sense of what it sees and to see the world around them. And how well can AI see today? And what have been some of the recent advancements in this field? Yeah, so I think AI can already uh, see and sort of like understand the world pretty well, Uh, you know, very close to sort of like what a human can do. Uh, but just to sort of give you a sense of how AI has advanced, say, in the past, like, 5, 10 years or so, uh, specifically in computer vision, um, you know, I'll kind of paint a picture of that. So a lot of thinking in computer vision early on was that when you look at the human visual system, right, like, we go and look at a scene, um, we can understand a whole bunch of different things about the scene. Like, we can detect people, we see what color, you know, the clothes are and what's in the environment and What's the relationship between the person and some object in that scene? Like a whole bunch of these different things. And so the approach we took in kind of early computer vision was we kind of came up with this idea of listing different simple tasks that we can try and solve. So a task could be detect any person that you see in a scene. Another task could be, um, you know, detect uh, if you you see water or like a body of water in a scene, you know, detect what pixels are, are showing that body of water. So sort of like these separate like individual problems for computer vision to solve uh, because that's how we thought the human visual system works. And so a lot of the progress in computer vision was how do we keep um, coming up with new models to get more and more performance to solve one computer vision task? Like how can we solve object detection better or object recognition better or image classification better or scene um, uh, segmentation better? 
And the big change, I would say, in uh, computer vision uh, technology and sort of the research area that happened about six or seven years ago, and it's right around the time that me and my co-founders started Ambient, was instead of looking at individual tasks, we started kind of building models that had a broader understanding of what's happening in the entire scene. You know, being able to sort of connect the dots of, you know, what is the person doing? What's the context around what's whatever the activity is? And go beyond sort of the detecting objects to, you know, understanding events, activities, behaviors, uh, things of that nature. Um, and I would say that has really accelerated in the last, you know, couple of years or, you know, just sort of the pace of innovation on that has been super fast. Uh, and right now, what everybody is excited about is large vision models, you know, multimodal models that are coming out. Uh, and they can really understand the context and the scene. You know, they can do it almost as good as humans can uh, for a wide range of different problems. So it's a really exciting time uh, just to be in the space right now. That's awesome. So it sounds like a big unlock and improvement in understanding what is happening in the scene rather than just seeing it. Talk to me a little bit about large uh, vision models. We know large language models perhaps more uh, are familiar to most people, but what about large vision models? Yeah, so... You know, the backbone of like all of the stuff that's happening, um, kind of this current generation of AI advancement is this idea of a transformer model. So, you know, it's a couple years old. Um, and effectively in natural language processing, people came up with a structure where you can take a body of text and then tokenize it. And then using kind of this chain of transformer models, try to predict what's the next token or next word. Um, and it's a very interesting task because, because it sort of allows you to um, be able to train your models with a large amount of data that doesn't have to be supervised or fully um, labeled. Uh, and implicitly, the model, as it tries to predict the next token, starts learning patterns of like, you know, under, starts kind of developing an understanding uh, of what's in that uh, body of text that it's trying to sort of like work on. So that was sort of the big movement around like ChatGPT and LLMs. And what people have been able to do is really extend that to computer vision as well. Uh, and the simplest way to think about that is we're now able to also tokenize uh, an image or, you know, frames of images and be able to sort of like still go and predict parts of that image to complete the image, uh, just like we would do, you know, in, a, in the next token prediction in, in language. Uh, and we're realizing that, okay, we can actually solve fairly complex computer vision tasks doing that, right? Like we can ask questions to these vision models around like what's happening in the image, uh, you know, how many people are there? What are the people doing? Uh, what's in the scene? What have been the key industries that have really pushed this technology forward? And where is all this data coming from to power these models? Automotive, you know, early adopter of computer vision. And in some ways, if you think about it, like even before self-driving cars, everything around advanced driver assistance systems, right? Like things that detect lane changes or, um, you know, those are also primitive computer vision. They're just earlier, you know, simpler computer vision that we've been using in cars to be able to drive safely for a pretty long time. I think big areas have also been industrial automation. So lots of work in robotics, you know, in warehouses and manufacturing facilities. Uh, that's been a big driver. Uh, the big challenge, I think, or sort of like one of the things that drives why computer vision was used in that space so far is the problems were very high structure. Like you knew that you needed computer vision to detect, say, barcodes and all barcodes kind of look the same. You know, you're not going to have something that looks very, very different. And so you could solve those problems pretty well with these task specific, you know, earlier first generation computer vision technologies. 
What truly is unlocking now is in industries where the vision problem can have lots of variability, right? You don't really know what the scene will look like and you still need the model to be able to somewhat understand what's happening and make a decision. That's the space where computer vision is now getting adopted, right? So we work in physical security and in physical security, the computer vision problem is pretty complex. Like you want um, AI to watch a security camera and detect like a pattern of behavior that could be suspicious. Like, okay, I see a person that may be trying to break into a building or somebody that maybe is trying to steal something when they shouldn't. And we now have computer vision, you know, that can actually solve problems that are that complex, understand the behavior, the context. Uh, and I think that's a big unlock, right? Like that technology is going to precipitate into multiple new industries and problem spaces. Absolutely. And, and I really love Ambient's focus on security because what stands out straight away is you've got a massive install base already of these cameras that are in place and you're essentially making them intelligent and able to understand what is happening in, um, in the scenes that they're seeing. Um, was that a big reason of why you chose security or why did you decide to focus down out of all the different industries you could be applying computer vision to, um, to that space? Yeah. So um, I think, you know, massive opportunity, as you said, there's, you know, tens of millions of security cameras that are already deployed and um, all this data that exists, which security teams today just don't have any visibility into. So if you spoke to any security director and asked them, you know, if they could watch every single camera in their building 24 seven, um, you know, would they be able to prevent incidents from happening and prevent bad things uh, from actually happening? And everybody would say yes, but they can't afford it. Like, it's not possible to have humans sit and watch um, so many cameras. So opportunistically, we did realize that it's a very big kind of market space. The infrastructure already exists. And as computer vision keeps getting better, you can sort of have this thin software layer that just sits on these existing cameras and immediately starts providing better business outcomes. And that business outcome is, you know, you're going to prevent incidents, stop the bad thing from happening, um, instead of sort of being reactive. Uh, my reason, though, to go into security was more personal, which is I was actually a victim of an armed robbery growing up. And, uh, yeah, crazy, um, crazy situation. And, you know, one of the memories I have, Daniel, from the incident is staring at kind of this old, uh, closed circuit camera hanging from like a pharmacy during the incident that was sort of like looking at us. And I was with my mom at the school bus stop where it happened. And I was sort of wondering, like, I was hoping that somebody's watching that camera feed and will come and help us. And of course, nobody was watching and nobody helped us. And over the years, I realized like, that's kind of what people think. Like when they look at a camera, they think, okay, it's going to keep them safe because someone's on the other end watching for bad things and will come and help them. And it's so unfortunate that that's just not the case. And so, you know, we thought, okay, once computer vision gets really, really good and we put it on every single security camera out there, we may end, you know, we may prevent like 80% of the security incidents that happen. Uh, and that's sort of like how we ended up in, in physical security, just sem seemed like a really meaningful problem to solve. Yeah. And, and that's really fascinating because you're kind of reintroducing the deterrent. Because yep. um, I guess people just think that you go into a convenience store and that camera is just sitting there as a deterrent, but really it's just recording to, to a little box that doesn't get watched. But if people start to feel that there is something that is watching and automating that process and picking it up, then it does start to become uh, more effective from there. So, so whereabouts is Ambient deployed? What kind of environments um, do you operate in? 
Yeah, so we've been very focused on um, enterprise as our target uh, segment for the technology. And the way we think about enterprises, these are organizations that already have a couple hundred cameras deployed. So, you know, to your original point, like it's an easy decision when you already have these cameras that are rolled out to just roll out software on top for monitoring. Um, and these organizations also have, you know, enterprise grade security systems. So they're using access control and video management products um, that are enterprise grade. Um, and so there, you know, it's a very easy business case to roll out something like Ambient on top of that existing infrastructure and immediately start detecting, you know, these early incident, uh, you know, risk indicators or patterns of suspicious behavior and start responding to them. Um, and it's also giving them a lot of ROI just from the core automation of their security operation itself. So, you know, our customers are major, you know, technology companies, schools, manufacturing facilities, data centers. Uh, you know, we've started deploying in some healthcare facilities, uh, several aerospace companies. So these are sort of like, you know, the kinds of sites where security is really, really important. Uh, and there's just no way they can scale the old manual approach to security. And so you plug in advanced computer vision and you immediately get, you know, business value uh, from it, which is super important in our view. And one of the things that stands out from your approach, it seems like you're trying to take something that's very reactive as an industry. You see an incident and then you react to it, or maybe it's it's even after it's happened, you react to it, to be more predictive monitoring. Maybe can you just unpack a little bit about how you do that and what your vision is uh, for that transition? So our sort of core view of what we do and sort of how we describe it is we're changing security from being reactive to proactive. And the national next question is, okay, can we get to predictive? And people always think about predictive as the minority report, you know, precognition view. And what I sort of try to tell people is, as you get more and more proactive, you're sort of, it's kind of on the same continuum and you're kind of approaching uh, becoming predictive. Like you don't need to become, you know, precog, but rather the way to look at it is any incident that happens has early risk indicators, right? An active shooter incident that ju doesn't just happen, you know, before that incident, the perpetrator is going to somehow breach the perimeter, you know, maybe jump over a fence line, you know, do things that are suspicious, uh, you know, at the site before the actual bad thing that happens. You know, same thing with break-ins, with thefts, like all these different security incidents. And so our view is if we can just help an organization look for a big you know, library of different types of suspicious events. We call them threat signatures. And they can go and detect the earliest risk indicator and respond to that effectively and intervene. They did end up actually preventing the actual bad thing from happening. You know, so that is what sort of preventative or sort of really uh, predictive means in our view, because you just need to respond as early as possible to the risk indicator and security. And if you do that, you know, you've just predicted, you know, or changed the outcome uh, of that incident or the actual bad thing from happening itself. That makes perfect sense. And is it just a, a question of how much volume of data you can feed your system to get earlier and earlier in that prediction cycle? Like, for example, if you're seeing someone accessing a building uh, illegally and you've seen that now over across thousands of sites and multiple, multiple records of, of video feeds, you start to become better and better at going earlier into that chain of predicting when that event will occur. That, that's exactly it. And, and, you know, to your point, like today we look for about like 150 different um, events in sort of our library that we think are suspicious that happen at these sites. 
Um, and our whole goal as a company is to make that, you know, thousand events that we can look for, because then the odds of being able to catch that earliest risk indicator uh, before the actual bad incident is going to happen becomes that much higher. And, you know, that's when the preventative value really, really goes up for something like this. Amazing. Amazing. And so let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, it sounds already that a lot of these capabilities are quite advanced and, and maturing quite quickly. And there's been the unlock with large vision models. Um, what will happen when we start to see all of these cameras be more intelligent in the world around us? And what does that kind of future look like in your mind? Yeah, that's a exciting question. Um, so, you know, I, I'm an optimist, a technology optimist for sure. And uh, my view when I look at the next few years of like, you know, having these intelligent cameras uh, or cameras becoming intelligent in the environment is, uh, you know, the way we think about our security and safety is going to have a very, very big impact, right? Like a massive drastic reduction in physical crime. Um, as you know, security becomes automated, proactive, and actually effective. Um, and I think just from people who spend time like in any kind of environment, like the way we experience it is going to be very different too, because our environments are going to be intrinsically safer. Like security is going to be sort of built into the environment itself. It's not obtrusive. You know, a secure environment wouldn't mean that, you know, you walk in and you're seeing a bunch of people walking around with weapons and, you know, you know, perimeter defense and, you know, man traps and things like that. Uh, it's more that you know that it's an intelligent environment that knows what's happening inside of it. And if something bad does happen, there will be really effective response. Um, and so that's the reason you would feel safe. Uh, in that in that sort of an environment. So that's kind of the vision sort of taking the narrow view of, uh, you know, how computer vision really deployed in an ambient sense in all of these environments, uh, you know, makes us feel or sort of like what that looks like from a security perspective. Yeah. And does it start to need to push towards uh, having some sort of intervention mechanic? Um, are you sort of getting demand to say, okay, whether it's signal an alarm, trigger a response, something like that, um, as well as just picking it up and notifying uh, the security professionals? Yeah, so we are. And, uh, you know, I would say traditionally security teams are very good at the actual response piece. Um, you know, typically it may be a security officer actually going and checking in on the incident. You know, it could be, you know, doing some sort of a lockdown at the site. Um, it could be, you know, a, a, a kind of a notification through uh, an, an audio message or like an audio talk down device. It could be informing law enforcement. So they already know how to do that. I think what's missing right now is the actual detection piece. Like most cases, when something bad is happening at a site, the security team has no idea. Like they're learning about it after the fact when somebody sees, you know, broken shards of glass or something like that on the floor and they realize, oh, we were broken into. And then they go tell the security team and then they're kind of, you know, digging into all that video to figure out what actually happened. So our objective is to sort of like do that detection early and then also let the security team do some sort of an automated response or so integrate those response endpoints so they can press a button and do a lockdown at the site if they need to or audio talk down if they need to, or, uh, you know, inform law enforcement if they need to. Um, and I think that's kind of when you really get that preventative impact by closing that sort of loop um, fully end to end. Absolutely. And how about different types of hidden data within a visuals or even different types of visuals that a computer and an AI can see 
that the average human cannot. Um, are we starting to see some innovations in maybe things like the different light spectrums that you guys try to pick up on or other areas that are beyond the ability of a human that could enhance the end goal of improving security? Yeah, uh, I think the broad idea of beyond or superhuman perception is is really interesting. And I think if you think about superhuman perception, you know, there's sort of like two approaches that you can think about it. And approach number one is what you mentioned, which is, can we sense other types of spectrums of light, you know, just access data that a human visual system cannot, like we're very limited in, you know, I think if I remember correctly, that 400 to 800 nanometers sort of wavelength spectrum, you know, that's what we can see as a human, but we can build cameras that can see, you know, near IR or like, you know, ultraviolet or different sort of these spectrums. Uh, and then using computer vision on top kind of gives you beyond human perception. What excites me, though, is something very different. And it's kind of the other type of beyond or superhuman perception, which is humans get tired and fatigued when they have to watch a video feed and try and understand what's happening for a long period of time. Right. So if I compare one person, like a trained human analyst watching a video feed with AI today, maybe the AI will be, you know, 90 percent as good as that trained human analyst. But now I give both the human and AI 20 feeds to watch at the same time. And now, you know, the human is getting fatigued and they're losing focus and AI kind of maintains the same performance level. You know, it's going to be as good as 90% on those 20 feeds. And the next thing I do is give, you know, 100 feeds to the human to watch and the AI to watch and the human performance is basically zero and the AI can still keep performing at that 90% sort of uh, accuracy level. So I think that in, in itself is superhuman perception because AI can sort of scale in a way uh, that human perception cannot, right? Have much broader perceptual field almost to understand what's happening than a human can. And that is sort of the way I feel the real breakthrough uh, in a lot of the commercial applications of deploying computer vision are going to happen. Being able to scale very reliably, um, you know, really, really good human-like computer vision, but just do that massively across multiple vision endpoints. Totally. And, you know, not only it performs as well, it probably gets better with all the additional data feeds that it's been fed, right, which is which is a fascinating um you know, benefit of, of using these models. The other thing that you hear about is the concept of uh, multimodal computer vision. So combining multiple sensory inputs beyond vision to include sound, touch, etc. from there to give a holistic view. Are you seeing the advent of that, starting to stitch together different types of inputs into one system? Yeah, and I think that's one of the most sort of cutting edge kind of areas where a lot of the new developments are happening. Uh, just to set the context, you know, uh, the idea of combining multiple sensor inputs to be able to better understand or better make decisions in, you know, AI systems is, is not very new. And, um, you know, even if you think about automotive, like, you know, cars, they'll use radars and LIDARs and cameras and combine all that data. And the traditional approach to doing that is what we call sensor fusion. So what you do is you say, okay, this is, what, this is what camera can see, and here's how it makes errors. This is what a LiDAR can see, and here's where it makes errors. This is what I can hear from or get from audio data, and here's what the error pattern looks like. And then you sort of statistically combine um, sensor data from different sensors with different error patterns to get some kind of uh, you know, improved understanding of what's happening um, with you know, lower overall uh, you know, blended errors, essentially. Um, 
Though what's happening right now with the actual multimodal models is very different. And, uh, you know, what, what, what the current kind of multimodal models are able to do is they can essentially tokenize, or the simple way to think about it is they can create an embedding, a vectorized sort of embedding for different sensor inputs. So what you see in a camera, what you hear, you know, language or, you know, other kinds of sensors, and then sort of put all those embeddings in one joint sort of uh, reasoning space. Like they're able to, you know, connect what you see versus what you read versus what you touch and sort of all of those sensory inputs and correlate them in one sort of understanding space. Uh, and that is a pretty big deal. Uh, and I'll give you a little example for why it can be a big deal. So let's say, uh, you know, we have the scene where there's a living room and in the corner you have a chair and a person is sitting on that chair. And, you know, you're trying to get a computer vision model to tell you what is that person holding in their hands? That person sitting in the chair, like, what are they holding? And it's not very visible, you know, it's far, you know, it's not clear, like, what that object actually is. So maybe a traditional computer vision model says, you know, doesn't really know, like, it can't tell what the object is that the person is holding. But a multimodal model could read a book which talks about what do people do when they're sitting in chairs in the living room? And a knowledge base could tell the model that, you know, people typically read or maybe they're drinking, you know, coffee or tea. And so they maybe are holding a cup or a book. And that piece of knowledge can now tell the computer vision model that, okay, it's very likely that the thing that the person is holding is either a cup or a book. And it kind of drastically reduces its reasoning space. And now maybe the computer vision model can detect and tell you, hey, it's actually a book. The person's reading a book, sitting on a reading chair in the living room. So that's a way to think about how you know, current multimodal models actually reason, which is they're able to kind of go across the different sensory modes uh, because all that data is in the same joint embedding space, which isn't something we could do you know, before. And that's really exciting. That's super exciting, um, and it makes a ton of sense. Taking the other side of the coin of all of this, which is the notion of the big brother state, right? You know, people have natural privacy concerns. I think this is highlighted in places like China that is known to use security cameras to actually identify and track individuals as they pass along, you know, through the city and throughout their day. Um, how do you see that story unfolding as these systems become more and more prevalent in the US and sort of what does that look like to you and how do we kind of mitigate that sort of big brother response? We've sort of taken the approach at Ambient of being, you know, privacy aware by design. So we don't do any facial recognition in our product. And the reason we made that decision pretty much when we founded the company was, you know, we don't believe it's a good idea to, you know, use security in a way where you can track everybody everywhere, wherever they go. Um, the approach we use is we say, hey, we'll just try and understand what is the individual doing in the scene um, that's suspicious. Because, you know, I can detect that a person is holding a weapon and I know that's bad uh, without me having to know who the person actually is. Right. So I think there's sort of an approach you can take where you can still minimize concerns around privacy or misuse of that technology and still maximize the utility, the actual problem we're trying to solve, which is to prevent incidents. Uh, and I think everybody that's in the space of AI right now needs to be thinking about that because like any other technology, it can be abused. And so we have to build responsibly with it. And even if you don't recognize the actual person or identify that person, there might be some other biases um, built into the system, such as racial biases. Have you seen that start to play out and how do you kind of mitigate um, against them? 
Yeah. And, you know, very valid concern. I think um, what we've realized is specifically in computer vision, um, it's technically pretty easy to apply controls to eliminate uh, concerns of bias. And you do that by picking what specific inference fields, what are the specific things you're going to have your models detect, right? So in our case, you know, there's, there's no way for our model to detect the color of a person's skin, for example. Um, we don't ask the model the question, is something suspicious, like an end-to-end -end question where there's possible, you know, there's a possibility that if you have data which shows bias, like the model could get biased. We ask, you know, do you see a person standing outside a gate trying to prop it open? And it's a very objective answer. You know, that's a pattern of activity that you can always answer as yes and no, just by detecting that, that specific event itself uh, and whether or not it's happening in the field. So I think that the, the answer there are sort of like what I believe and trust in is really strong technical controls on what the inference field of these models will be. Like what are the things that you can have the model detect from that scene? And if you control and design that well, you know, you practically eliminate concerns around uh, bias, uh, which, which is really good for all of us. We've talked a lot about the security space where Ambient's operating in. What other companies or industries are you seeing this really start to advance the industry for that are getting you excited? Yeah, I think right now is a very, very exciting time for computer vision. And um, the possibilities are just so many. Um, you know, I have a framework of how I think about big applications of computer vision in the real world. And the framework is basically, if you just look at like what's around us in the world, you know, we have, you know, people, so people are going to have computer vision, kind of personal computer vision in the augmented reality sense, right? Like if you have cameras on yourself, like it's going to be able to understand things it sees, you know, kind of be a co-pilot, be a human, you know, AI assistant, help you reason with the world. Um, you have cars, vehicles, you know, all of those can do autonomous driving, navigation, move around the world better. Uh, you know, homes, okay, we're going to have computer vision there, you know, in terms of better assistance, you know, they can understand what's happening in the house, what do you need, uh, sort of that whole Jarvis idea, basically, in, in people's homes. And then you have buildings and, you know, commercial facilities. And in some ways, the computer vision application there is what we're doing at Ambient, which is, you know, making them safer, you know, giving them insights to have better operational decision-making. Uh, and so I think broadly, computer vision is just going to become really, really pervasive. Um, and applications are just everywhere across the board. The bottom-up thinking of like each and every job, each and every business process, is it going to have an application of computer vision and broadly AI-powered automation? Maybe that's the even better question to ask. And I actually think almost every job will. Uh, that's how disruptive and transformative this technology really is. Yeah, and it's just such a powerful data input and elegant data input feed um, to all those tasks. And do you think that it is more likely that there will be verticalized focused winners in these categories? Or do you think that the technology will become so powerful that it will be able to be applied across all different types of tasks by whoever's able to develop the most sophisticated computer vision model? That's the big question or debate that I think a lot of people in the venture and like the startup community are having, which is, okay, does advantage accrue to incumbents or startups, right? Like that's another way to sort of talk about is it the verticalized application versus whoever is building a generalized, you know, God AI model, essentially. Uh, my view is the verticalized applications are going to be the winners, right? Because in each business problem or sort of like, uh, you know, the problem space itself, there are all these 
workflows and intricacies that you truly need to uh, solve to deliver the value end to end. And at the end of the day, people don't buy technology, right? People buy solutions to their problems that fully do the job that they need the technology to do. And so that tells me that it's important to take, you know, whatever is possible with computer vision, with AI broadly, and then verticalize it to a specific problem and then fully kind of tame that long tail of use cases around it and then deliver that solution. And that's the path to building, you know, building something uh, that'll truly win in that space and solve that problem um, to deliver the outcome, right? The business outcome that, that the customer needs. Chika, we're coming up on time here. And I just want to end on some advice you have for entrepreneurs looking to build within this wealth of opportunity in computer vision. Where would you have them focus their attention? I think entrepreneurs and founders in general are actually very good at the technology portion, right? Like they're already well-versed in what's happening in AI. They'll understand the problem. The advice I actually give to founders is to focus less on the technology and actually really obsess around how the technology will get adopted in the, in the market, right? So how do you build distribution around whatever product it is that you're going to bring to market? Um, I think that really becomes the rate limiting step. Like I know very few founders that are not able to build their MVP or the early product or that technology. And it's usually really good, uh, but that's just not enough, right? Like they have to sort of obsess around the distribution of that technology in the market almost more uh, than they obsess about, you know, getting that technology right. Uh, and then the founders who truly become masters of their craft in building out distribution and championing the go-to-market aspect of it are the ones that end up becoming the long-term winners uh, in each of these emerging spaces, right? Like those are the people who are building the actual successful companies. So that would be my advice and that would be what I'd tell people to focus on. That's really well said and, and couldn't agree more. Well, Shikar, look, thank you so much. It's been super fun chatting about this and congrats with all of the success at Ambient and look forward to continuing and to follow the journey as you grow. Awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. What a great and timely discussion with Shikar, who paints the picture of a computer vision industry on the doorstep of a major acceleration. Large vision models are unlocking the data hidden in plain sight across industries and opening up opportunity set for entrepreneurs to deploy them at scale in specific verticals. I love the shift to proactive and predictive responses using this technology, be it stopping a security threat from before it occurs to preventing a car accident. The emergence of multimodal AI on the horizon points to a future where AI will have all of the sensory input to us humans. And what an unlock would that be? To follow Shikar on his journey, head over to his Twitter profile, at Shikar Shretha. That's S-H-I-K-H-A-R-S-H-R-E-S-T-H-A. Let us know if you're launching a software startup in this industry. Just reach out. We'd love to hear about it. You can email me on danieldarling at focal.vc. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please subscribe to the podcast to listen to more coming down the pipe. Until next time, thanks for listening and have a great rest of your day.